Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. And we just talked about the simple gospel revisited. Now, please don't raise your hand because your leaders might be discouraged. But how many of you this week, if you participated in Life Group, it was one of the most dense Bible study or it just didn't make sense. You don't know what your leader was talking about. And so don't raise your hand. All right. So uh, as you know, a lot of these things are things that I believe that all of us, we we need to grasp as best as we can. And it's going to take time. It is not through one sermon. It's not going to be through one Bible study, but it's going to be over a period of time. And so Pastor Bo and I and the other leaders were committed to constantly using this language that we're talking about, about the simple gospel. And what does that mean for us? And because what has happened for those of you who are Christ followers, I would say majority of you, because you could just kind of talk to people and be in conversation and ask a simple question, what is the gospel? And almost inevitably, everyone will say, well, we have sinned, and so that separated us from God, and so God so loved us that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross. He rose again from the dead, and through that, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are saved. I would say many of us will hold to that, and many of us might even share that as being the gospel. And here's the problem. It's more than that. This is the reason why we have too many people in the church who's no different from anyone else who's in the world who are not believers. You look at all the statistics and you realize that there is no genuine transformation and life change in a heart of a person who claimed to be a Christian or a Christ follower compared to those who might be worshiping other religion or other gods and other religions, or they might even be an atheist. This is the reason why we have a crisis right now in the church. This is the reason why many people look at Christians and the church as being hypocritical. This is the reason why so many of you have been a Christian for I don't know how many years now, and your life has not changed. You're pretty much the same person that you were the moment that you received Jesus Christ. And so what we have reinforced is more of a decision-based gospel rather than a disciple making and following gospel. And this is why we see lifestyles and the things that we are convicted about be completely off from what we see in Scripture. So if you remember, I'm going to try to go through this really quickly because I want this to be the framework of how we look at the whole book of Romans. Because this is the book in which we get a lot of these views. Back in 1517, when Martin Luther posted the 95 or 95 theses on the, the door of the Catholic Church there in, um, in Germany, and it was in that moment where the Protestant Reformation took off. Now, for those of us who have Catholic background, it's going to help us to understand a little bit more as I talk about why the Book of Romans is important. One of the things that I want us to understand is the reason why I say it's more than that when it comes to Jesus Christ. Not to say that we need more than and Jesus is not enough for us. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just simply saying is we, we have truncated the gospel that we don't fully help people to understand the purpose and the calling that we have in light of Jesus Christ dying for us and then resurrecting from the dead. 
So what has happened is we have used this framework. If you remember, we talked about creation, the fall, the redemption, and the restoration. So those are the four things. If you want to look at it, the pillars of the gospel story. Now, as I was talking to many of the leaders, they have confessed and they have shared that it was a very difficult Bible study. I think it's really easy to go back to what's natural and start talking about what we need to do rather than fully grasping this gospel message. And it's more than a decision, but decision is entailed, but we need to live this out. So because of that, I really gave it some thought this week. I was talking to Pastor Bo when we had our staff meeting and we we're trying to work through this out. How do we help people in our church to really begin to understand this? And he helped me to get some perspective. He said, Pastor Seth, I mean, you got to think about it. Here you are with all these degrees. You've been a Christian for this many years. You've been preaching and doing this for all these years. And you struggled through, as you shared in the recent conference. How about just an average person in our church? And I realized that that's so true. If I'm wrestling through with this because I've been trained under this paradigm of a decision-making gospel, then I realized for some of us, who haven't been studying theology, who haven't been able to fully grasp it, you just grew up in the church, this is when you realize that some of you uh, might not fully understand it, at least at this point. That's why we want to continue to repeat it. So let me say it again. The four pillars of this gospel story, and let's say it together. Can we do that? The first one is creation. The second one is fall. The third is redemption. And the last one? Is restoration. So as I was thinking through this, I realized, but still, that doesn't fully tell the whole story. How do you actually communicate the story? So God gave me an inspiration, and I just want to share this with you. Once again, we always talk about the gospel is a gift. It's a free gift that God offers to us. Nothing that we have done, nothing that we deserve this gospel is a gift that God gives us. So if we look at these four things, the creation, and then the fall, the redemption, and the restoration, the thing is that what should be woven into all four of these pillars. And so what it is pretty much is the acronym GIFT. So let me show you on this diagram. We're going to show you like one by one. So if you look at it, if we could show the first piece, can we just think of this as a cloth? And so we have this cloth. The first one is creation. And then the second one is, we're going to just go ahead and, it's the fall. The fourth, or the third, sorry, the redemption. And then the lastly, the restoration. Now, the key thing that I want you to notice is this. I mean, if you try to imagine it as a cloth, we're trying to weave it into together so it could be one big cloth because that's the gospel story. So as you know, the creation, fall, redemption, restoration, what links those things together is the gift, which is God, the Israelites, the fulfillment, and lastly, it's transformation. So cute little uh, needle there. All right, so let me explain this through 10 statements that I want to make. So try to visualize, visualize this. Four separate cloth now woven together with God, Israelites, fulfillment, and transformation. 
So here are the 10 statements that I want to make. The first thing is this. God created all things good, and they were all created for his glory. Because once again, we could talk about creation, but we have to talk about God. What was his purpose? What was his intent? He created all things good, and it was for his glory. The second statement is this, that God gave a calling to humanity to be his image bearers in order to reach the world. If you know the story well, Adam and Eve, they sinned. And so they were not able to fulfill the calling that God had given them. And they began to hide. And God says, where are you? He was the first missionary. He was looking for the lost. And from there, what happened was that as he created man and woman in his image, they were supposed to bear his image, which means compassion, love, all those things that we see about his character. We're supposed to reflect that. But because of sin, which now leads to the third statement, is that it has been damaged. So that's why when you think about relationships, when you think about different things in this world, it's not the way it's supposed to be. That's why something inside of us says, this doesn't feel right. This is, not, is this what God intended? Is this what he created? And so sin damaged what God has made and what he intended for good. The fourth statement is this, that God, in his love for humanity, made a covenant with the Israelite people to save the world. So we have God and now the Israelite people, that he has, cre he has given a covenant, a promise. If you want to look at it, a contractual thing with the Israelite people, and he says, with Abraham, he goes, I will bless you make you into a great nation. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And so through this covenant, listen to me carefully, that Abraham and then the Israelite people were supposed to be the light for the Gentiles, for the rest of the world. Because the image-bearing people, that's us, the humanity, because sin has entered in, now God decided to make a covenant. And out of this covenant, we'll see prophecies that were given over and over again. And that's why the Israelite people, and this is uh, the fifth statement, the Israelites' mission was to be God's image bearers and to be a light to the nations. Because they're supposed to bear the image of God, and that is the image of the light going forth to the nations. The sixth statement is this, due to their idolatry, they failed to fulfill their calling. As you know, that was one of the biggest issues for the Israelite people, and it is still the same thing for us today. That is idolatry. We are worshiping other gods. We're worshiping ourselves. And this is why we're not able to do the thing that God has called us to do, to be the light to the nations. Therefore, due to their idolatry and they failed to fulfill their calling, this is where King Jesus came into the world and he inaugurated the reality of the kingdom of God. So once again, gift. We got God, what he created. We're the image bearers. He's the one who reached out to Abraham and made a covenant. And then the Israelite people, they were supposed to, the I, the Israelite people, they were supposed to be a light to the nations, but they failed in their mission. So God sent Jesus Christ, King Jesus, into this world to live a perfect life that we could not live, but he lived it for us. And he became a sacrifice, died on the cross, and rose again from the dead. Now, what you have to understand is that by him inaugurating the reality of God's kingdom, that means that now Jesus, 
if you put your faith and trust in him, you have to understand that King Jesus is now inviting you and he's inviting me to live as kingdom citizens of this kingdom reality that he has started, which is now, that's the eighth statement, is that or the ninth statement, he's inviting us. So I, the eighth, I already said that he died on the cross. The ninth statement is that now Jesus invites us to his kingdom so that we can restore what God has purposed and intended from the beginning of time, but it's gonna be a new creation, something new. And the last statement is this, until one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and all the nations will be gathered worshiping God forever. This is the whole gospel story. So if you just truncated to Jesus Christ loves you and he died on the cross, all you're getting is life insurance and fire insurance. There's no demand on your life. That's why we see a lot of Christians who live for themselves, even though they say that they follow Jesus Christ. You'll see this in the decisions that people make. You'll see this in the things that they pursue after. It's all self-centered and selfish reasons because no longer is Jesus the king now. You're the king. You rule your life. This is the reason why that the church and you and I, we do not, we're not able to shine the light of Jesus Christ the way we need to. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, what did he say? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And that when you do good works, the people will see that because you're bearing the image of God. They will see that and they will praise your God up in heaven. So think about that for a moment. What Adam and Eve were not able to do, what the Israelites people were not able to do because of their idolatry, if we trust in this King Jesus who has inaugurated the kingdom of God and we hear the call or the invitation to live our lives in this realm of the kingdom and live it differently than anyone else as you change your allegiance no longer to yourself but to the the one who is worthy of our lives as you give your allegiance to him that's how the world is going to get transformed and we fulfill the calling that God has given us I don't know about you but all I know is that that fuller gospel story it helps me to understand not only my mission my purpose in life it helps me to understand what's going to happen when I die, it helps me to understand what God has been already doing and why Jesus is that important and so central to my life. So you, you don't, you're not a Christian who just goes on church on Sundays and then on Monday through Saturday, you live your own life. You're on a mission. God, from the beginning of time to now until whenever he comes back, we are doing the thing that God is calling us to do. King Jesus is inviting us to be a part of. So as I share all this, I want this to be the framework for looking at the book of Romans. As I was kind of looking through the book of Romans again, the Israelite people never struggled or had this idea that salvation is by faith. They knew they were chosen by God. 
So it wasn't so much about works to earn something, but what they really struggled through was that they didn't know their identity, and because they were worshiping other things, they failed in the mission that God has given. That's why Paul, when you look at the book of Romans, is constantly addressing that. So today I want to talk about how we do love to play God and that we judge people. So let me give us a, a question for us to think about. And I'm going to just start. So I, I, I spent the first six, seven minutes on, because I needed you to understand I'm going to now go into chapter two, and let me just kind of help us to think through this. Do you know what the problem with comparison is? Just think about that for a moment. I think there's every, every single one of us in this room, we have at one point, or we still are, struggling with comparison. The reason why comparison is such a problem in our lives it's because when you start comparing your life with somebody else, guess what? You don't become the person God wants you to be. You don't do the thing that God wants you to do. So you know what that fuels? That fuels discontentment. That fuels bitterness and jealousy. That even fuels anger. Wondering, God, why me? Or why not me? Why that person? And so what it does is that he keeps on making us more insecure and wondering, God, what is your plan for me? And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about what would be a good example just to kind of help us to illustrate this. And I saw this video, and in Chicago, they made this large treadmill. Just try to imagine this huge treadmill. And what they did was they set the pace to one of the greatest Kenyan marathon runners. By the way, if you don't know, all the greatest marathon runners are from that area, uh, especially Kenya because of the sea levels higher up. And they train up in Eldoret, and it's, it's supposed to be really changes your whole body composition. Same with Mexico City. A lot of people train up there because of the altitude. And Eliud uh, Kipchong, I don't know if you know who he is, but he is the 2016-2020 marathon winner for both marathons in the Olympics. He holds a world record uh, with the time of, guess what? Two hours, one minute, and 39 seconds. So I don't know about you, but that is almost going close to 30 kilometers per hour pace. I, I kind of do it in miles because I'm still trained up in the, in the States, and I'm thinking it's about 13.4, 13.6 miles per hour. And I was thinking to myself, I only do that when I want to just end it on a high note. But this guy is at that pace for two hours, one minute, and about 39 seconds. He holds a world record. People are now trying to beat that to get in under two hours. So what I want you to do is watch this video. And they decided to set this treadmill at the speed in which he ran the marathon. And I want you to look at all these different people trying to run at that speed. Did you notice all the people that fell were Asians? 
have a little bit of a theory on that. We're a little bit shorter, so our legs are shorter. So we have to run double the speed. Believe it or not, in many ways, life is like a race. In fact, the Bible talks about that, and he uses that imagery. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, listen to what it says. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. But this is the problem. Even though we are all on a race, and this is the imagery that we see in Scripture, is that we get derailed in this race when we start judging other people, and even comparing ourselves with others. Guess what happened? They're trying to keep up with this person's speed who's gone through years of training, and they end up falling on their face. I'm just wondering if there's some of us in this room trying to live this Christian life, that you've been constantly falling on your face because instead of understanding God's heart for you, and what he wants you to be, and what he wants you to become, and what he wants you to do. You're constantly looking around at what other people are doing. Or you feel so good about what you're doing that you look around and you start judging other people. This is the reason why some of us are still struggling as we think about this race that we are in. I think for us, what it does is that it fuels our self-righteousness. We get either proud because of that or we get discouraged because we can't measure up or we're not doing the stuff that that person is doing. But what God is wanting you is to follow his word and live the life that he has called you to live in being part of this whole gospel story in your life. So let me give us a one thing as we kind of ex expound on this chapter. I want to talk about this, that on our own power, just by our own strength and power, we will stray. But with God's power, that we're able to obey, that we can obey. You keep on trying to live this Christian life on your own, your own power, your own strength, your own wisdom. You're going to stray. You're going you're to slowly start drifting. But when you trust in his power, when you turn to his power, that's when you realize that you are going to be able to obey the things that God has called you to do. So let me talk about two errors that we normally make, which I believe intensifies our desire to do things on our own power and causes us to stray. And that's why today I want to talk about how to tap into the God's power so that we can obey. So here's the first thing. The two things, two errors that helps intensify doing things in our own power. The first thing is this, our assumptions of who's good. The assumptions that we have of what it means to be good or who are the people that are good. So far in chapter one, as we, if you've been with us uh, the last several weeks, uh, in this book of Romans, we talked about two things. 
We talked about in chapter 1, verse 1 through 17, he mentions that the gospel of Jesus Christ is focused on the foundation of his life, the life of Jesus, because it is the power of God and it's for the purpose of God, if you remember that. Then Pastor Bo talked about Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, and he talked about how idolatry is at the center of why we turn away from God all the time. That's why our hearts are darkened. We're, we're living in darkness and in unrighteousness because, once again, we have made certain things superior or greater than God. It could be anything from your grades to your work, anything related to your future. And so what has happened is that you have made other gods your God. And this is the reason why oftentimes we're not living and running the race that God is calling us to. As we start chapter 2, I want to talk about a couple things that exposes this assumption that we have in our lives. Things that we assume of what it means to be good or who is good. So let's go ahead and I want to talk about, when I look at the first five verses, the first thing is our pride. So let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 5. And it's going to be up here, so let me just read it along with you. Uh, it says this. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your heart and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Let's just pause here and talk about this issue of pride that causes us to always assume what we think is right and what is good. In verse 1, you will notice the word therefore. And so what Paul is trying to do is he's connecting the previous section in chapter 1, especially the last part of chapter 1, about the judgment that's coming to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So if you're a Jewish person reading this, you're sitting there like, yeah, go get them, God. Go ahead and get them. Because they know what they're, show them what they're, what they're going to have to face. Because as you know, the Jewish people, they felt that they were the chosen people of God. And they looked at the Gentiles and the way they lived their lives. And if you look at the last portion of verse chapter 1, it says that God gave them over to their desires. Because even though they... They, they look at the stars. They look at all that's created. They still refuse to believe that there's a God. So God gave them over to their evil desires, and he begins to list a whole th a list of sins, things that they are involved in. And so as you're thinking like a Jewish person, you, you realize, I, I have an advantage. These Gentiles, they weren't chosen by God. I, as a Jew... I was chosen by God. I'm part of this covenant. I'm part of this group of people, the in crowd. And so here's Paul. As they're talking about this idea of judgment that's coming. 
Many Jewish people felt like they were exempt from judgment. Why? Because they were chosen by God. So Paul is now addressing the Jewish people who find themselves judging others. And that's why when Paul says in verse 1, therefore, that we have no excuse, what he's simply saying is that the same standard that you're using on people to judge them is the same standard that God's going to use to judge you, even though you're an Israelite person. Now, the question is, why is this important? Because when we judge others, we end up condemning ourselves. Let me explain what I mean by that. Once again, I'm going to ask a rhetorical question so you don't have to answer. Just think about it for a moment. Isn't it really easy to judge other people but to excuse ourselves? Now think about this for a moment. When other people are late because you have an appointment with them and you're, you're getting really worked up like, oh, that person's late again. Don't they know I have all this stuff, you know. But then you're late for a meeting. What do we normally do? Oh, sorry, sorry, I was really busy. I was thinking of all this stuff. See, the problem with judging people is you end up condemning yourself. I, I was just sharing uh, recently with Pastor Bo, we were talking about some emails that uh, uh, some of the people that we wanted them to respond and they did not respond. And you know me, communication is very important. So I'm getting all worked. I'm like, oh my goodness, how many times do we have to tell these guys to respond to the email? And you know Pastor Bo, and it's just calm Pastor Bo way. Who tries to speak Chinese in some other random country somewhere in China or a random city. Well, he didn't speak Chinese to me, but you know. He goes, but Pastor Seth. There are many emails that we need a response from you, but you don't respond. <laughs> so instead of humbling myself, I say, which one? What are you talking about? <laughs> Prove it to me. If it's addressed to me, I'll respond. But if it's addressed to a whole group, then it's different. But he goes, well, what I'm trying to say is sometimes you don't respond all the time. I'm like, okay. And that's when I realized, ah, as I was preparing this message. <laughs> this is the beauty of preparing messages because as you're preparing it, you got to either live it out or the word of God convicts you and like, okay, I can't share this. <laughs> I got to work out my own heart. When you judge somebody, the very thing you're judging them with it's the very thing that will condemn you. That's what Paul is trying to help the Israelite people to understand. Here you are thinking that you are the chosen people of God and you will not face judgment. And so here they are still living the way they want to live. And you oh, go get them. Go get those Gentiles. They're so dumb. They don't even know what's going on. They worship all these different idols. And they have these little golden calves around their necks. I don't know. I'm, I'm just making it up. But do, do you see what I'm saying? The very thing that you judge people with is the very thing that will condemn you.
Think about it this way. Some of us, we make excuses. That's why it says you are without an excuse. So what happens is that when you start judging somebody, that very thing that you're judging people will, will begin to condemn you. And then what do we end up doing? We start making excuses. Well, you know, and, and people who make excuses, I'm telling you right now, it's a deeper issue. And it's rooted in pride. Because somehow they think that they're better than they really are. And so it's like a personality thing. It's kind of like, oh, and, and as they begin to share a little bit more, you realize, oh, they sound like they're playing the victim. That's why they don't change. Because they don't see the pride that is blinding them. Once again, it is so easy to see other people's problem, but we don't see our own. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but this is just a little counseling tip. We hate our own faults, our own weaknesses. This is why when we see them in other people, it drives us crazy. Are you with me? Whatever you struggle with, those are the things that get you upset with the people that you're spending time with, you're doing LCG with, or whatever it may be. Do you know why? Because every single time you see them and they're struggling with that, it's a reminder for you that you're also struggling with that. That's why in some ways it's good for us to see the reality of our hearts. Then what happens? The spirit of judgment always leads to, we start criticizing things or criticizing that person or criticizing that, uh, uh, that situation. Then we have this aura of pride. We're like, yeah, we're just better. And then, yeah, did that person, this and this. And so we start, our mind begins to start rolling in this direction and it starts picking up speed. And then once again, because the thing that you judge people with is what's going to condemn you, it leads to hypocrisy. You're telling these people to read the Bible, but you don't end up reading because now it's condemning you because you haven't done the Bible reading for some time now. So then you live in hypocrisy. And once you start living in hypocrisy, then what happens? You lose credibility. I think this is the reason why love conquers all. It's not easy because it is so built inside of us to judge, to compare, to look at other people. Some of you know uh, this past week, um, Friday, it was my wife's 50th birthday. So uh, we had a birthday party for her the week before, a surprise one. I, I felt really good about that because like, we actually surprised her. She was not expecting it. So this past Friday was her actual birthday. So I took her out to a, a really nice restaurant here in Hong Kong, and I just wanted to surprise her some more. So what I did was I went over to Lady M. Do you guys know Lady M? And there are certain slices of these cakes that my wife loves, so I was like, I'm going to bless her. And so I ended up going to the store. I bought two pieces of her favorite ones that she liked. And I ended up calling that restaurant and I said to them very clearly, I said, this is my wife's 50th birthday. It's very special. And I need uh, you, I'm going to bring it, bring the cake over. And I need you to bring it at this specific time after we finish our meal. What, can you bring it? And, and I said, do you guys do anything special? Because we'll, we'll just give you a little uh, chocolate placard or whatever you want to call it, a little thing where they just write happy birthday and then they're going to put a candle. And I said, okay, that's fine. And so I said, that's great, but can you make sure you bring it? 
at this time. And so she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry, Mr. Kim, you know, all this kind of stuff. So then I'm like, okay, it's going to be taken care of. And then we get there, we sit down, and then we're looking at the menu, and we realize if you buy it a la carte, it's going to be pretty expensive because it's, it's not a cheap restaurant. So we're like, okay, uh, maybe we'll go with the set menu, you know, those set menus. And so I said, let's go with the set menus. And I didn't fully, it didn't hit me until later, but I realized that in the set menu, they also had dessert. So what happened was that as we're finishing up our four or five course meal, what happened was that this person who was our server, really great guy, he comes with the, with the dessert that was on the set menu. He puts the candle and he goes, happy birthday, Mrs. Kim and you know, Christina, you know, and they started, they didn't even sing happy birthday. So I had to kind of start the whole thing, you know, have, you know, happy birthday. And so, but then it dawned upon me, I'm like, wait a minute. What happened to the lady M? cake so part of my mind i'm thinking maybe they'll bring it after so it's like double you know blessings but nowhere to be found so then i had to call over one of the person who was in the concierge area and i said uh i go remember you're supposed to bring the cake and she goes oh let me check it out let me find out what went on and then they bring these two pieces of cake on a plate and they give it without the candle, the very thing that I wanted, without the other plot. So pretty much what they did was they took the menu set dessert and put it all there instead of putting it over there. Some of you who don't know me, there's different degrees of lividness. It just depends on what I care about. And so I was getting a little bit like bothered. I'm like, I'm Mr. Kim. Yeah, and... uh. I specifically requested this. I called you and I even talked to you because I came like a couple minutes late so that I knew that my wife was seated so she won't see me so that I could give it to them. And I was getting, so Christina, we're, we finished eating and Christina's like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm like, you go to the bathroom? Okay. So after I went, I quickly went over to the main desk area and I just simply went up there and I said, I didn't want to even talk to them. I go, give me the phone number or your contact information of the owner or the person who has the highest power in this place. <laughs> That's how I said it. And they're like, oh, Mr. Kim, is there a problem? Can you explain to me? And this other lady comes around and is like, oh, Mr. Kim, is, is there something wrong? And I'm like, well, I, I don't want to tell you how, what I was thinking. Sometimes, you know, when you're thinking, what comes out are different. And sometimes what you're thinking is worse. But anyway, so I just, I simply said, I'm very disappointed. Because this is my wife's 50th birthday. This is a very special one. And I specifically requested, I was pointing at that lady. And I talked to you and I said, I wanted this to come at this time. And so this other lady is trying to diffuse the situation. And in my mind, I was thinking to myself, I did not raise my voice. But Christina is always my Richter scale. You know how big the earthquake is? So she comes over and she goes, what's the matter? What's going on? I'm like, nothing, 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 nothing going on. <laughs> and I kind of said it in Korean to her and I said, I'll tell you later as we go down the elevator. And the reason why I was a little bit bothered is do you know how much it costs for them to do the cake thing with the candles? $85. 
And then what got me more upset was they pretty much took it out of the box and put it on a plate. I'm like, that's not $85. I could do that. So here I am getting upset. And then as we're going down the elevator, going down the stairs, I said, so that lady gave me her personal WhatsApp number. So I was all ready. I said, uh, as soon as I finish my other meeting, I'm going to go and write this incredible message that will transform her life. (laughs) And then about a day later, as I was about to do it, I was preparing the message. (laughs) And I realized... It's like the Holy Spirit just gently kind of tugs at you and speaks to you and says, have you ever messed up? Have you ever, you were supposed to do this, but you ended up doing that? And I could not write the sermon very well because I kept on thinking about all this stuff. I kept on hearing Christina's voice. Like, I told you to get this. Why did you get that? And I'm like, oh. I kept on hearing my kid's voice. Dad, that wasn't it. I wanted this other stuff. I was like, oh, God. And this is when I quickly realized it is so easy to allow pride to come into your heart when you fail to realize the very thing that you are judging or that you're angry about or whatever it is, is the very thing, when you think about it a little bit, is the very thing you have done too. And this is the reason why, when, do you remember the parable that Jesus told? It's a story about that one sinful person who went into the temple and he couldn't even look up in the sky or look up to pray. But that Pharisee then says, well, thank you, God, that I'm not like this person. Do you remember that story? Let me just quickly read it to you. It says this. I'm going to read it from the message translation to give us a, a more of a colloquial understanding of the story. He, being Jesus, told this next story to some of those who were complacently pleased with themselves. Come on, say this part. Over their moral performance. So they were just like, we're great. And looked down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a taxman. As you know, the taxman is really the people that were despised. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Robbers, crooks, adulterers, and haven, a heaven forbid like this taxman. I fast twice a week and tithe all my income. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up. He said, God, forgive me, or give mercy, forgive me, a sinner. Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home what? Made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face, like all the Asians on that big treadmill. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. See, one of the things we forget is how sinful we are and that we don't take pride in what we're able to do or what we think we are. That's why in verse 4, Paul was challenging the people that God's patience and kindness towards us is because he wanted us to repent and turn back. This is such a powerful thought. Is that why didn't God come and punish us? Why didn't God come and send his wrath? 
Because he says here, it's because his kindness, possibly, maybe, his kindness, his patience with us is so that we could turn and repent. Can I just pause here and help you to think about that for a moment? That there are some of you in this room with the things that you're doing, God's wrath should be upon you and upon me. There are a lot of things that God should judge you of because he's the perfect judge because he's perfect. But the thing is that something fell down. But the thing is this. He's been kind and patient. And the reason why he's doing that is because he wants you to repent. Turn to him. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You continue to harden your heart and knowing what I've experienced over the years and counseling many, many people, then God will allow you to keep on going in that direction. And the person that is going to get hurt the most is you. But God is still there. He still loves us. But you don't need to go through unnecessary things. So think about his kindness. Think about his patience, that he wants you to repent and turn away. That's why in verse 5, we see that people harden their hearts and their stubbornness instead of turning back to God. The NIV says this in verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. See, our, our pride causes us to think of ourselves better than we really are. So the reason why we assume who's good and what's good is because the pride hinders us from seeing clearly who we are before God. Another thing you'll notice is the partiality in verse 6 through 16. Um, let me read this quickly. It says this. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience as well doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be a wrath and fury. There will be tribulations and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what is required, the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secret of men by Christ Jesus. Now, what is he trying to say? I'm going to try to summarize just because of time and some of us will study this in our life group. Is that in this section, Paul is trying to remind the people that God is the only one who judges people according to the truth. See, like, we, we cannot be the ultimate judge, because why? We're imperfect. And that very thing that you use to judge people is going to end up condemning you. Only God 
can judge appropriately because he is the truth. And therefore, it makes all of us guilty when we think about our lives. And that's why it was so easy for the Jewish people to be self-righteous and think that they were better because they had the law. We have the law. That's why God loves us. And that's why we understand his heart. You Gentiles, you non-Jews, you don't have the law. But what Paul is simply saying is that since you do have the law, you Jewish people, my fellow brothers and sisters, because you do have the law and you have more access to the truth, that means that you will be judged more strictly. We see this all throughout Scripture. Even in Hebrews, it says those, you should not desire to be a teacher because those of you who are teachers will be judged more harshly because you know more, you understand more. Even though the Gentiles did not have the written law, but it was written in their hearts, and it says their conscience was their witness that told them what's right and wrong. So what has happened is that here's Paul addressing the Jewish people's assumption of who's good and bad. We are, because we have the law. Those people, they don't have the law. So therefore, they're, they're going to be facing the wrath of God. But what they failed to see was that they're also under judgment because of what they do. Now, please, listen to me carefully. He is not teaching work salvation. What he's simply saying is that if you are genuinely saved, then you will produce works. Just like what we saw in the book of James, right? Faith without deeds is what? Come on, say that. It's dead. So those of us who are genuinely believers in Jesus Christ, then we will desire to do things and work out our salvation. That's why God is the impartial judge, and he judges according to what we do, which reveals what? Ultimately, the heart. Not that he looks at how well, how much you do of this, how much you do of that, but he's looking at our hearts, and that's what's important. Because you could do all these good works, but if the heart is wrong, your motive is wrong, then those are the things that will burn in the fire. But when you do do things out of a gratitude because what Christ has done for you, then those are the things that God looks at and blessings come. How about us this morning? I'm wondering if there's pride in our hearts that we haven't even been able to catch. The thoughts that we have, the words that we say, the things that we do, the way we act, in front of other people. Do you judge? Is that something that comes really natural for you? Maybe some of you are believers and then you judge those who are pre-Christians or even pre-Christians who are judging Christians and the way they live. The very thing that you judge people with is the very thing that will be used to condemn you. Only God is the perfect judge. And so the assumptions of who's good, it's not by works. But it's about Jesus Christ. The second thing that I want to highlight here is our attempts at being good. So we first have to address the assumption, which is our pride and our bias or prejudice, partiality. But now you will see the attempts of being good. And let me just go ahead and read the rest of it from 17 through 29. It says this. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and who his 
and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you teach yourself while you preach against stealing? Do you steal? You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Uh, do you say that one should not, must not commit adultery? Do you commit adultery? Do you abhor idols? Do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision become uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have written code and circumcision but break the law. We should count how many times is circumcision and uncircumcision. Verse 28 and 29 as we close here. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inward, and a circumcision is a matter of the heart. But the spirit, not, of the, uh, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. Now, I, I realize that there are a lot of people who grew up in the church, but they don't know this whole thing about circumcision. Uh, and I'm going to try to describe it PG-13 style. Pretty much it's the male genitalia and you're cutting off the foreskin. And the reason why that was done is because when you look at Jewish history, that was a sign that you were people who were set apart. It was a physical sign. It was like having a tattoo or some kind of something, like a chip in your body. They're like, oh, you are a Jew. You are God's people. And so the reason why Paul says this, I know it's very confusing. I'm going to try to summarize it. The thing is this, that they felt that because they had the law, because it was given from God to them, they also had the visible sign of circumcision. They just felt that they were great people. Now, if you want to think about it in the modern sense, it will be maybe some of us who think that, oh, I grew up in a Christian home. But there are a lot of people who grew up in the church in a Christian home that are not saved, that are maybe possibly sitting in this room or watching online. There are many of us who then say, well, I read the Bible. I, I pray. I go to all the life groups. I go to church. But you're still not saved. When you put your confidence in whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, when you have the law or you don't have the law, then what you're trying to do is you're trying to be good on your own because why? You think to yourself, I, I'm, I'm, I'm part of this covenant that God has made, and so I don't really have to do much, but here, let me try to do these things so I can look good in front of other people. And so what Paul is saying is, I mean, this coming week we'll do this, but I want you to notice how many if statements. If you say this, then, th then this. If you're a teacher, you know, and then you're being foolish, there's so many if statements in this whole last portion. And what Paul is helping them to understand is that it is in the sense where, why are you like the way you are? If you say that you're this and should not then this, that's the whole logic that Apostle Paul is trying to communicate. 
And he argues that instead of relying on the law or being circumcised to avoid God's judgment, that the average Jewish person believed that these two things, because of the special covenant they have with God, that that will grant them salvation. And Paul is saying, no, it's not. You are a special people of God because you are the, from the Jewish race because God chose Abraham. And through you, Jesus came in the lineage of David. But just because you're circumcised and you have the law, it's, you're not automatically saved. And that's why Paul is challenging many of these Jewish people. And he says, God giving you these things is really a privilege, but not to save you. It's a privilege so that as you begin to understand, it's Jesus the Messiah. It's Jesus and nothing else. It is Jesus that you have to trust and that you have to believe. And listen to me, this is the part I want to close with. What Paul is trying to pinpoint is it's no longer external things, but it's the internal, it's your heart. Now, why is this important? Because in the Bible, throughout, that was the prophecy and that was what God wanted to happen. Let me give you a couple verses. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. It says, circumcise what? The male genitalia. No, it says circumcise what? Your hearts. Therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Don't be proud. What he's simply saying is, there's, let me translate it for you in this modern language in our church. There's so many of you who are doing all these things that look good and everyone's like, wow, that person must really love God. They do their soap. They come to life group. They go to church. They come to harvest games. They serve. They're on salt. They do all these things. But what, what Paul is saying is that God wants your heart. You could do a lot of these things with no heart. Why? Because you could do it for yourself. You don't want to look bad. You want to try to impress somebody. You want to maintain a reputation. You don't want people to judge you. So now your service to God is really for yourself. It's no longer for God. So what Paul is trying to say is circumcise your heart. That's what's important. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33 to 34 says this for this is the covenant that I will make with you the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord I will put my law within them and I will write it in their what hearts you Jewish people have the law it's right there the scroll you can read it but what God wanted was the law to be written in their hearts and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Circumcise your heart, and have the law written in your heart. So here's Paul, I don't want to say attacking, but he's addressing Many of these Jewish people with this mindset that says, I'm the chosen people of God and I'm going to go ahead and just keep on doing what I'm going to do. And he says, no, think about it. There are Gentiles who obey the law better than you, even though they don't want to have the law because they have a conscience and God is speaking to them.
Ezekiel chapter 26, verse 20, or 36, verse 26 or 27, it says this, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulation. So why is this important? Because some of you are sitting there and say, okay, I, I, I need to circumcise my heart and I need to have the law of God written in my heart. And once again, when you think about it that way, it is easy to fuel, I gotta do something. Then you go back to what we're talking about. You're trying to work your way, trying to earn something. That's why we look at this Ezekiel passage and this is God speaking and what to say? He says what? I will, and I will, how many times, and I will, and I will. It's God. Therefore, it doesn't mean you sit there and do nothing and say, God, you better hurry up. You say, you will. But that means you prepare your hearts, you open your heart, and you say, God, as I confess, do the work that only you can do. Circumcise my heart cut it, break me, mold me, and put your words in my heart, not just in my mind because I did a BRP or Bible reading plan on my soap for today, but Lord, put it in my heart. That's why the psalmist says, what? I have hidden your word in my heart so I might not sin against you. I'm just wondering if some of us are trying to be good on our own power or strength. What are some things that you're putting your trust in rather than fully trusting in Christ? Do you know that it has to be God that will give you this new heart? All our attempts at being good is going to fall short. Because once again, when you try to do things on your own power, you're going to stray. But when it's God's power... He's going to help you to obey. Let me just give us a couple of things to think about as we close out here in the next steps. The first thing is this. And these things that I came up with are things that I had to sit there and say, what, what has helped me? And what do I need right now, even after that incident that happened at the restaurant? By the way, I don't know if I finished this whole story, but as I was writing this letter, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, don't write it. Service was good, but they just dropped something that was very important. And I just felt the Holy Spirit, if I wrote that letter and just sent it off, I mean, I, I might have gotten a voucher, a discount. But I just felt in my spirit, not that we're generous and we want to bless that, that restaurant is already blessed. I, and, you know, but I just felt like me to do that, it's going to fuel a lot of things in me that's not going to help me to love God, to love people. Sometimes you have to write it. But in this moment, I just felt that the way I responded, the way things were all unfolded, I just felt like God was saying, I don't want you to do it. So I didn't. And I have to delete it from my draft uh, box there. But I'm not going to send it. Because once again, that means that I have forgotten the gospel for myself. 
And so as I was sitting there, I was thinking about, okay, what can help some of us? What can help me again to really live without this judgmental attitude, with a heart of love, heart of service, understanding the gospel. It's not a, it's not a right that I have, but it's a privilege. He's addressing the, the human heart that has a tendency to get proud. So the first thing is this. Whenever you feel like you're judging people or you want to judge people, and, you know, can I just say this to you? There's some of you in this room, I don't know, I, I just feel compelled to share this with you. There's some of you in this room, I don't know why, this, I don't know who this is for, but I'm speaking to you. There's some of you in this room, you have been hurt by somebody. And when you get hurt by somebody, you know what I'm talking about. The natural thing is to judge them. And I'm telling you right now, not only are you acting like a Pharisee, but the very thing you're judging people with, you're going to condemn yourself. And you don't want to be in that place because it's going to put you more in bondage. That's why I look at your life. Are you growing? Probably not. Are you experiencing joy? Probably not. Do people love to be around you? Probably not. So I don't know who this is for, but I'm just saying right now, some of you who are hurt, it's easy to have a judgmental spirit. And that judgment leads to criticism. Criticism will lead to then hypocrisy and then self-righteousness and that pride will continue to build. You're going to start making excuses. You're going to start blaming people. And you're not going to live out the destiny God has for you. What He wants is repentance. So that He could cut your heart, circumcise your heart, so He could put His words into your heart. And guess what? He will be the one who will do it. So with that, the first thing is this. Remember how patient God has been with you. Man, every single time I think about all the times he's been patient with me, he could have banished me, he could have taken away certain things from me, but he was patient, constantly calling out to me, constantly just kind of nudging me, whispering in my ear. I'm so thankful that he didn't pull his full wrath upon me. But in his loving ways, just waiting for me to repent because his kindness leads us to repentance. So if you have a struggling with judging and you think you're better and remember how patient he has been with you. The second thing is this. Repent and ask God to change your heart. You can't change your own heart. Only God can. So what you can do is repent and what you can do is pray and ask God, God, change this heart of mine. Change it. I can't change it myself. The third thing is this. Reassess your assessment of yourself. Something like, I assess myself. You assess nothing. Go and reassess it again. Because I realize some of you are so unaware. Some of you have very low emotional intelligence that you think you know who you are, but you don't. That's why you keep on making the same mistakes. That's why you continue to go in certain directions when you should have connected the dots long time ago. Whatever assessment you're doing, whatever reflection you're doing, go do it again. Or I would encourage you, invite people to help speak into your life. 
I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but I remember whenever we're at a restaurant, my wife would be like, and if you ever see her in her smile, she has a really nice smile. That's one of the first things that actually uh, got my attention. But every single time we'll eat, she'll be like, like right at me. I'm like, damn woman, okay. But you know what she was doing? What she was doing was, Seth, is there anything on my teeth? Because she can't see it. So she invited me into her teeth life, if you will, to help assess if there is like a, what do you call it, a, a, a chili red flakes or some other stuff that's in her mouth, on her teeth. Because we don't catch it. That's why when you assess yourself, sometimes you might need a reassessment of that assessment. Invite some people in to speak into your life and maybe they'll give you some insights that you haven't had before. And the last thing is this, respond with gratitude. Let's be thankful that the wrath of God has not poured upon us. He could, he could have withheld things from us, but he hasn't. He continued to lavish it upon us. Man, that always gets me. I just know I screwed up and I don't deserve anything and somehow God just blessed us somehow. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? You're like, God, I don't deserve this. And what can you do? Your heart starts melting. You realize, God, it's, it's all you. And in that humility, you just simply say, God, out of gratitude, I worship you. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I pray that that will be our response this morning as we close. I know our minds are like on lunch and, uh, you know, harvest games and all this stuff. But this morning before you leave, I want us to pray that God will give us a new heart. Not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh that we can feel, that we could be responsive to what it is that God is doing. I believe He's going to change our hearts. Can we stand together as we close here? Lord, I just pray for every single one of us here we just want to say that we cannot change ourselves. We cannot change our own hearts. But it really has to be you. So Lord God, I just pray right now that you will, you will speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we respond and asking you to change our hearts, Lord, may you do that. I pray that you'll cut into our pride, cut into some of our judgmental attitudes, feeling that we're superior because of certain background or things that we have gone through. Lord, it always leads to hypocrisy. And the things that we judge people with, those are the things that end up condemning us. So we ask of you, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, that your spirit will lead, guide, and just minister to us right now. Just with every eyes closed, can we just bow our heads for a moment, close our eyes, and 
I just want to ask us, is there anyone here, you've tried many things and you just feel like you're at the same place over and over again? And this morning, you're just simply saying, God, you got to change my heart. Give me a new heart. If that's you this morning, that's the desire of your heart. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that will cause embarrassment for you. But I'm just going to ask you between you and God. If that's you on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to quickly lift up your hands and then put it down. You don't have to hold it long. Just quickly lift it up and put it down. That you're simply at a point where you're saying, God, I cannot change myself. I've been trying to do it in my own power. But it keeps on leading me astray. But God, I want to obey through your power. Give me a new heart. If that's you right now, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to quickly lift up your hands and put it down. This is your response to God. And I believe that he's going to honor that. And I'm going to believe along with you in faith that he's going to give you this new heart that's soft, that's sensitive to the things of the Spirit of God. He's going to put his word in your heart. He's going to cut your heart. But he's not going to let it bleed. And for us to be in so much pain, but he's going to cut our hearts so that it will be marked as his. That our allegiance is to him and him alone. He's going to come and start healing and doing the work in us as we give Him permission, as we open up our lives to Him. He will never force us to do anything. All we can do is invite Him in. The Bible says, Here I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door and lets me in, I will eat with him and he will eat with me. God wants to have fellowship with us because He has invited us to be a part of this kingdom. The King Jesus. He's the only one that could change our hearts. So if that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hands, and then we're going to pray together for you. On the count of three, one, two, three, right now, all over this room, lift up your hands. Thank you. You can put it down. Lord, I just, I thank you, Lord, because the first step is just acknowledging and just confessing that we need you, that you're the only one that could change our hearts. So come, Holy Spirit, do the work right now in your still small voice as you speak to us. Move us by your Spirit. Move us. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives, Lord. We thank you. Can you in your own way, and some of you have maybe never talked to God or it's been a while, just share from what you're feeling just as you're talking to a friend. Maybe some of us need to repent. We've been far away. Say, God, forgive me. I come back. I want to be part of this kingdom that you've been talking about. Let's just pray and say, God, give me the heart to obey. Your power has to come. So just for a minute, not too long, minute, minute and a half, I want you to pray so you can express your words back up to God. Come on, let's do that right now. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.